Enrollment is now open for the BDF Gibney Connect at Gibney in New York City. Join the Bates Dance Festival in Gibney for our sixth annual five-day winter intensive. Focused on inspired dancing and creative exchange, this intensive is designed for intermediate and advanced dancers. Early bird price is available before November 1st. To see a full listing of the faculty, visit BatesDanceFestival.org upcoming events. We hope to see you there. Welcome to Inside Dance, a podcast that celebrates the Bates Dance Festival dance artists and teachers. I'm Lindsay LaPointe, media supervisor for the festival. This episode features Amira Sackett and her collaborator, Asad Ali Joffrey, who are both here presenting a show with the music duo The Reminders and dancer Mary Marr, a.k.a. B-Girl Mama. Amira's love of hip-hop dance and devotion to her faith used to inspire a contemporary dance collective called We're Muslim, Don't Panic, which is dedicated to elevating the status of women and educating the public on women's issues. Asad Ali Jaffrey, a.k.a. DJ Manowax, is a cultural producer, global arts leader, and interdisciplinary artist with a creative vision for sustainable social change. My name is Amira Sackett. I'm from Chicago. Uh, I'm a dancer, a choreographer, an educator, and also an activist. So my role with um, the Bates Dance Festival is bringing together a Muslim artist, a group that we've toured before, um, and bringing them here to do a performance. And we taught some dance classes, um, and basically to, um, I think, share the love of what we do with the audience here. Our relationship started back in 2016 with uh, Asad Joffrey and Arts Midwest. Um, we pulled together our group um, to do a tour of the Midwest, and it was for three weeks. And that's where we kind of formed a bond. I had already known Asad Joffrey. Um, and I had already met the reminders, and I knew B-Girl Mama also. So we all knew each other, but we hadn't really worked together. And so in 2016, it was the first time that we put together a show that toured and we all taught together. And all of us are teaching artists and performers. Um, so it was just the right meeting of people. And so I'm just very pleased that we were able to bring that group and that chemistry that we have to Bates this year. Taking hip hop dance and putting it in front of an audience is really different um, as far as the way that hip hop was born, right? So hip hop was born with a cipher, right? So breaking or b-boying or b-girling as we call it, that was really the original dance of hip hop. Right, so that started in the Bronx. Popping and locking started on the West Coast and was part of the funk music movement. So it was a little different, but definitely you know, a street dance, urban dance. And then later these dance forms got put all under the same umbrella and kind of were called like hip hop dance, right? But actually both of these dance existed where the cypher was very important. And so the cypher is like the circle, 
right? So you dance in the center of the circle and, and you battle, right? And we have battles. So when you're dancing in the cipher, the energy is totally different because it's a very small group of people or smaller than a big theater. And then the energy is like, you know, the people surrounding you are giving you so much energy. You're vibing off other dancers. So when you get in the middle of that cipher, it's really, really like intense. So the challenge as a hip hop artist who wants to stay true to the roots of hip hop is to try to create that same energy on stage, that same kind of connection with the audience that you would have in the cypher. Um, and so that's like when I'm choreographing pieces that are like really that wanna have that old school hip hop flavor, you kind of want that like feeling with the audience. But it's definitely a challenge because you're leaving it from its natural element, right? And you're adjusting it to a stage. And there's always something that's lost when you do that a little bit. A lot of the pieces that I currently do are more theatrical. And so I've kind of bridged between like a contemporary mindset, like contemporary dance mindset, modern dance mindset with hip hop movement. So that's kind of, you know, where my performance aspect is on stage. So it's a, a little bit more of a fusion, right, that, that you're gonna see me perform with. But then when it just comes down to being back in Chicago with the hip hop scene there, you'll find me in the cypher getting down with everybody, dancing to funk music, you know, practicing my skills and stuff like that. And then I kind of separate those two worlds, you know what I mean, a little bit. Like there's a theater performance that I use the vocabulary of hip hop dance in. And then there's like what I consider just like the roots, you know, the real deal hip hop energy. And so always a challenge for us, how do I take that energy from the cypher, from our battles, from that, that underground scene, and how do I bring the audience and let them experience that? From the very first time I placed my eyes on you, my heart said well, I grew up uh, a child in the 80s, so I mean, it was just there with, uh, it was popular music back then, right? So I remember hearing my first rap. I remember, like, I was really small, but I remember the movie Break In, and I remember my mom saying, um, these kids are doing this crazy dance, they're spinning on their heads, and like, there's kids that are dying, and I was like, sounds awesome. <laughs> like, sounds like a dangerous dance. I'm totally down. Uh, and then I think growing up, like watching Michael Jackson, who all of Michael Jackson's dance style was influenced from popping and locking. So um, definitely I was a kid doing the moonwalk, and I think that laid the foundation for the interest that came to that dance style later on in my life. But as a kid, I grew up doing um, hip hop dance just with friends because there wasn't like hip hop dance classes. Back when I was a kid, you just were copying your friends' moves or like music videos and listening to rap and stuff like that. So it was just an, an extension of, of culture, I think. Um, I had a lot of black friends. Uh, I grew up part of my life in Chicago. I went to a lot of weddings and got pushed down the Soul Train line and danced with a lot of my friends. So that, that experience being young led me to appreciate hip hop culture um, and 
and then it later became a really strong love in my life. So one of my mentors that guided me with popping and just generally in life um, is Pop Master Fable. Much respect <laughs> to Fable. Um, he's from originally from Spanish Harlem. Um, he's vice president of the Rocksteady crew. And he's like an OG in hip hop and in popping. And I met him back in 2003 um, when I got to see the Electric Boogaloos perform. And this is like a classic, classic popping funk styles um, crew, right? And so uh, meeting him there was really, really uh, inspirational for me. Also, he is Muslim. And so meeting another dancer who is Muslim and in the same you know, style that I love, it was just really, really inspiring to me. And so he remains um, a real inspiration for me. And anytime I got any kind of pushback for, oh, you're a girl doing this dance, whether it be just like the hip hop, you know, in our dance form of popping, it's actually a male dominated dance form, right? So, but he always just always has my back, you know what I mean, no matter what. So um, I can always call him if I have any kind of, you know, like, oh, I'm worried about this or whatever. So he's a great inspiration to me. I think like as far as choreographers though, like I also am super influenced by like uh, Kung Fu movies and like the choreography in those movies, like the fight scenes. I definitely get inspired by um, other like modern dance choreographers, Bill T. Jones, B.B. Miller. Those are a couple of my favorites, Ron Brown. Um, there's a lot of just beautiful dance out there that inspires me like, you know, to create work that is moving on stage, but uses the, the vocabulary of hip hop instead. Right now in this time period, it's very a tumultuous time uh, for being Muslim, right, in this country. So even by just walking down the street as a Muslim woman who wears hijab, that's visibly Muslim, it's a form of activism. Uh, it's a form of saying, I am here, see me, um, and accept me, right? And I think that it's natural for me to bridge art with that identity because they're both so strongly, I'm so strongly rooted in both. And so I kind of started to make work that was more reflective of that identity back in 2011 and I started a company called We're Muslim, Don't Panic. And through that, I would do a lecture where I would talk about like being Muslim American, I would talk about uh, misconceptions uh, about Muslims and Islam, why Muslim women wear the modest style of dress called hijab. And in doing that, I wanted to kind of educate the audience um, for people that were uh, of other faith backgrounds just so they would see the similarities between our faiths, right? And, and see that we have more in common than we have different. And then I think that taking the image, you know, of a Muslim woman, putting it on stage and having it be very powerful is also a counter narrative with what we were being fed in the media, especially back in 2011. So that was my goal, was like, you know what, I'm gonna take this image you have of us as like, backwards or subservient or, you know, silent, and I'm gonna 
blow your mind. <laughs> and I think that people really responded well to it because I think they were ready to see that. You know what I'm saying? And I, and I think that um, I was part of a greater movement, really, honestly. There are so many people I met after I had that idea and I started doing that who are also doing work in a similar vein at the same time. So there's really a growth um, right now as far as uh, Muslims producing art and getting interested in the arts. Um, and I think that's so, so valuable for our community and so valuable for uh, the rest of the world. So I think that my work has changed people's view on hip-hop and, uh, and Islam uh, by teaching the history of hip-hop and kind of talking more about the culture of hip-hop than, than people are familiar with. And that's something I stress in my dance classes and um, when I'm performing. So I just like to drop a lot of history because I want people to recognize also that hip-hop we are participating in a, a culture and an art form um, that was created by black and brown youth that were disadvantaged in the Bronx, right? And so even though hip hop, I do believe it's a form for the entire world and it's a positive form um, that everyone can benefit from, I think it's very important, especially with young dancers, to remind them of the roots and where it came from so that there's not a disconnect between the people that created hip-hop and your love for those people and your love for the culture. You have to love both. You can't participate in hip-hop and hate the people that created it, you know what I'm saying? So when I teach, I'm very, very adamant about uh, dancers recognizing that, especially when they come from other backgrounds, that they recognize you're participating in something that was created by these kids in the Bronx. Right, so every step that I'm teaching you right now comes from them, and there's power in that. And so you have to recognize that that's a gift that you're being given, right? It's a gift I was given to be able to participate in this and be able to benefit from this. Um, so that's how I feel about hip hop. As far as Islam, I think a lot of people feel, once they connect with me through dance and through art, they're not afraid to ask me questions. And I think the thing that is missing right now in society is people are so afraid of offending people that now they don't want to ask any questions. But then you just remain in this ignorant state and you draw assumptions or you hear stuff that's like totally wrong and you're too afraid to actually ask somebody. And so one of the nice things that happens at, at my shows is people feel free to ask me things because they connect with me. And so then, you know, and sometimes I've sat in front of the audience during a Q&A portion of the show and I've said to them, okay, here's your chance. You got a Muslim in front of you, ask me anything. And I get really crazy questions, like sometimes it freaked me out, like, so why do you Muslims say Allahu Akbar before you kill people? And I'm like, number one, we don't kill people. That's not something we do. That's crazy people that are violent, that kill people. Um, and I have to answer some, you know, questions from people that just don't know, that are listening to the media, that are listening to uh, their family members, their friends that tell them stories about Muslims that are absolutely insane. Uh, but I'm cool with that. I want to be the one that answers that question. I would love to answer that question so they get it out of their head, right? 
and um, and that they are like, no, I heard it from someone who is Muslim, because I'm sick of everyone else talking about us, but us not talking about us. Like, I know my religion, I know my book, I know this religion. So if you want to know about it, ask me, right? And I think that is like a very powerful um, change that happens. Um, and then sometimes people just ask me about like, East Coast first, West Coast hip hop in the 90s. Biggie Smalls versus Tupac, let's go. And we just talk about hip hop. And that's also cool because uh, like subconsciously, they, the next time they see a girl walking down the street wearing hijab, they know that they met Amira. And you know what I mean? And they, they're like, oh, okay. Like I've met Muslims before, we talked about hip hop. You know, it just gives a through line so that um, I think we don't feel so like separated, right? So that we, we can share these different conversations. And I really wanna facilitate dialogue between people. That's the way you solve problems. You don't solve problems by dividing yourself and then staying in your little fearful groups. And that goes for Muslims as well. Cause there's a lot of fear on Muslims part where they feel like everyone is looking at them when they're walking down the street, you know, in a way that's negative. And those small like microaggressions that come at you, sometimes you are not right about them. Like there's been times I've walked down the street and thought, oh, that person's looking at me because I'm Muslim and they're drawing these kind of conclusions about me. And so I'm in my heart feeling all unsettled. And then they're like, oh, I really like your shoes. And I'm like, God, I suck. You know, <laughs> why did I think that person hated me? Right, so we have to be careful of that. We have to always smile. We always have to like engage with people. So I feel like that's where the future needs to lead us to more, more unity, less divisions. My name is Asad Ali Jafri. I'm a curator, a producer, an artist, and a cultural organizer. Uh, my stage name, Mana Wax, is an old name. I started DJing back in around 2000, so it's been a, it's been a long time. And uh, I was a big collector of vinyl records. And vinyl is also known as wax um, in the hip hop community or otherwise. So the Mana Wax or the Mana of Wax was kind of a, almost like a superhero type of name that I'd taken on early on and it just kind of stuck. Um, these days, a lot of us are DJing with vinyl records that are coded, and we're using MP3s and such. So the name might sound a bit um, archaic in some ways, but I like it because vinyl is still an important part of my life. And you know, I could have easily DJed this set with a controller, and they're easily available, and I could have carried it in a backpack, but I like still using turntables uh, because a lot of DJs do. And, and eventually, that'll probably go away, and it's, you know, a lot of hipsters have record players, and record shops are, are in, in vogue. But um, I just like the aspect of DJs using that original form as well, um, even for the aesthetic part of it, because as Amira was talking about, in the early 70s especially, when young people in the Bronx didn't have um, access to music classes or musical instruments, they were just taking the turntables or record players that their parents or other people had and using existing music and records to make new music. And I think there's, that's kind of the essence of hip hop culture, is that it borrows from all of these other forms to create something new. Um, and in that way, hip hop becomes a framework for anything, community change, organizing, creativity, business. It's not just an art form. It's now a mindset that allows you to transform uh, even when you don't have what seem like many resources. 
So I was born in Kuwait to South Asian parents, and I moved at the age of 10 because of the Gulf War. And um, I was exposed to hip hop as a young kid because I saw kids breaking um, in Kuwait even. But when I came to the US, I was immediately kind of hit with people like Public Enemy and others from kids that were in school somehow. And it really kind of got me. There was also a lot of like popular music, top 40 stuff that was within the hip hop genre. Um, so I was really intrigued by it. I also always felt othered both in Kuwait and in the US because I wasn't from any of those places. And so I really started uh, paralleling my life to black and brown uh, kids, um, black folks, Latinos, and others that ended up being part of the hip hop movement. And I thought that hip hop had that counterculture voice for me as a music form and as a cultural form. So I was attracted to it really early on. And uh, it stuck with me throughout high school and then of course even more through college and beyond. So I met the Reminders a long time ago, about 10, 11 years ago. And a lot of my work was around gathering Muslim identifying artists together that were working in different disciplines and genres and to kind of create some kind of collectives and some kind of movements that were based on the needs that we had as individual artists. And um, that's how I met the Reminders and several other artists as well. And that's how I got introduced to Amira's work as well. Um, I remember like at that time, multiple people were sending me articles on her. I think it was around B-Girl B at that time oh, uh, or something. There was an article that was coming out of Minneapolis mm -hmm. and people were like, do you know this person? And from that point on, I don't know if we've ever talked about this. No. I was like, well, I need to know this person because this is awesome. Um, both coming from a hip hop context, but a Muslim artist context as well. And then I know that you were in a video with Brother Ali and then I saw the word Muslim don't panic and taking it to the streets. Mm -hmm. Like all of these things started adding up. And then there were these opportunities to travel abroad doing these kind of cultural exchanges. And I think the first time I emailed you might have been about one of those that I don't think came through. Oh, yeah. But there was like this idea there. And then I think we started kind of uh, a creative friendship, as you may say. Mm -hmm. And uh, from that, in 2015 is when we started recruiting for this Caravan Sarai mm -hmm. idea with Arts Midwest. And it was a no-brainer to me that Amira needed to be involved. The reminders needed to be involved. And then with conversations with Amira, um, we thought about Mary because she already knew of her. And through that same work, I had known of her because of her work with Hardcore Detroit. So as in any other community, once you come together, you realize that the world is really small and whether it's around the globe or within your own town, you know these people and you can build real relationships, which is another important thing about our work and collaborating is that it's based on relationship building. It's not just based on artistry, which is important, but I know a lot of great artists that I would not want to work with, mm -hmm. to be honest, not in this way. And, and that's an important part of this. We're, we consider this part of a bigger movement and although art it has to be excellent and aesthetically like great, we believe that art also has this purpose um, that can be considered you know, movement building, change making, spiritually inclined, all of those things are important to our work. And I think that's why we come together because when we're doing this, we're not doing it for a check. We're not doing it because we need to be the best artists in this form. We're doing it because the work itself is important. When I started creating this work around my Muslim identity, I noticed a lot of people even like bloggers and like makeup artists who wear hijabis and stuff like that. I just noticed a lot of people taking pride in their Muslim identity, which previous to that, after 2001 uh, and 9-11, I feel like a lot of uh, Muslims were like shaving their beards and taking off the hijab and all of that. And then there was a lot of fear in that era, right? And then I think through time it was like, no, we are not like responsible for this. Like our religion is beautiful and we have the right to practice it and, and we have the right to like love our identity, right? And not be fearful. And so I, I just see a lot of that kind of um, 
kind of beautiful like work happening. Um, and I think that is super inspiring to see. And I think that, uh, you know, when we come together, like with this particular group, the Reminders, Mama Squared, and DJ Man of Wax, um, we're like a family. And that's why on stage it's so fun, because we love each other and we relate to each other in a time period where sometimes we feel isolated. So we have different challenges, right? So even within the Muslim community, like sometimes it's looked at as like, oh, you're an artist, why aren't you a doctor or an engineer or, you know, or like is that appropriate for you to be doing as a Muslim, you know, hip hop, because they look at hip hop just like a lot of people look at it, the commercialized hip hop. So they see, you know, these lyrics that are not in align with uh, Muslim values, music, video, and dancing that's not aligned with, you know, Islamic values. So when they hear that we're hip hop artists, immediately a lot of our Muslim community is like, oh, that is wrong. Like, it's got to be wrong. And then we have a lot of explaining to do. No, we participate in the underground, true school hip hop. You know, I do the robot. Like, there's something weird about the robot, you know? <laughs> and Well, it's weird, but you know what I'm saying? It's not like uh, morally objectionable or whatever. So I think that like us being together, it's like we understand each other from a spiritual aspect and from an artistic aspect. And so we're kind of in our own tribe, you know what I mean? And so I feel like there's different people that we connect with um, because we're a part of the same tribe right now. And so and part of our belief system as Muslims is that we are drawn to souls that resemble ourselves. Right, and so that is a that's a, a bond, and that is actually um, from the divine, right? So I think there is something uh, that we find in producing art and making art and and being together that actually is part of our spiritual practice, and that's something that connects us across um, all these different zip codes because we came here from a lot of different places to be together at Bates and it makes it worthwhile for us. Um, I would say looking at uh, the broader kind of movement of artists, whether it's the black arts movement, whether it's, it's all these kind of movements from around the world, um, artists are able to communicate a human experience and translate it for people in different ways, right? And it's nuanced and it's uh, intricate. And I think that's really important in this idea of cultural organizing that for me comes from hip hop culture, but is really vested in indigenous cultures from around the world. Um, and that's important and that's important to convey and that's important outside of the arts community as well, because we need to be a part of communities in general and not kind of create these barriers. So I look at it from that kind of larger perspective. That's for marginalized voices. That's for people that have been oppressed. Um, and, and that's kind of like the larger movement building that you see all around the world now, but you've always seen when it's like a people's movement. Um, as far as from the Muslimness lens, I will say that to me, Muslimness and I'm saying that intentionally, is part of this ecosystem that's very nuanced, that includes like all these different kind of forms of our identity that sometimes just gets pigeonholed into a religious or spiritual aspect, but there's all these other things that come with it, um, including your politics or your geographic or ethnic or racial identity, including sexuality and gender, all these other things in place and space, um, just like any other identity, right? It's complicated. And I think oftentimes, even within the arts, we wanna create these dichotomies and these binaries. So pe putting people in boxes, um, and we're not supposed to be doing that as creatives, right? But it happens a lot to us as Muslims and as it would happen to other folks 
because people want to say, well, they're this, and what does it mean to be Muslim, and then what about Islam, and what about your practice, and are you practicing or not? Like, these are questions that have been asked to us. Or what's okay and what's not okay? Are you that type of Muslim? Are you that type of this? And it's like, all of those answers are right and wrong at the same time. And that's the movement to build in those narratives to say that it's up to that individual to have agency over their story. Um, and it's beyond just, it is their identity, but beyond that as well. And for us to be in charge of the communities that we're building and the structures that are being built and the institutions. Um, and that doesn't all often happen. So our thing is this small thing to create this as artists, but to also say, I mean, we understand that sometimes we're tokenized as that, right? We're tokenized as like, oh, we need some Muslims in this space too, because everybody's talking about Muslim ban. And then we need to have some folks that are from this kind of aspect, because we need to all be united for the, for the sake of diversity, um, equity, and inclusion, or whatever else it is. And that doesn't necessarily feel good either. And the only way we can do it is if we organize ourselves. And that's why that relationship building is important, because I need to be able to know what my fellow artist is going through in their lives, not just on the stage. And we don't believe in like, you come to the stage and you leave that all at home, or you come here and you leave this, or you come to work and like all of a sudden you're a different person. And I think that's what we're talking about movement building. I wanna know about the reminders kids. Where are they right now? Who's taking care of them? What does Isabel have to do when she gets back? And how they're kind of struggling about that. And to me, that's the artistic movement that we need. And that's the movement we need now because when we look across what's happening around the United States and see uh, that we're all kind of concerned about even being here in ba at Bates, about refugees and resettlement or people kind of going through deportations, then we try to think, well, what can we do as artists? Well, let's right raise money. That's fine. But what can we do in our real lives as well? And we believe that that doesn't stop. There's not a line that says, we're now these people and we're these people now. And so again, that's the movement we're trying to build. And we're not trying to be ashamed of that. We don't want to be shy and say, well, this stays out of it and this stays out of it because these are the arts. And people have said that to us so many times. Like, there's no room for politics in the arts. And it's like, all art is political, whether you know it or not, as soon as you open your mouth or get on stage. So it's those kinds of things that we're trying to like push and we refuse to be silenced on that because it's important as parts of our lives. And as people that have been oppressed or marginalized, that always happens. You're always either silenced or you're told that this is where you fit, even if people aren't saying that explicitly. And I think that movement's not only important for us and the world around us that may not understand, but it's really important for our own communities as well. From my travels and my experiences doing um, this kind of work, I, I really bring home people's individual stories. Um, I have faces of people I've met in my mind, you know, and different conversations I've had. Um, so recently I was in Martha's Vineyard at um, the yard, and I did a really cool residency there. And um, there was a man that came up to me right after the performance, and he was an older gentleman. He was dressed like really nice, and he had like, what is the thing in the pocket? Pocket square. A pocket square. <laughs> and he looked like just so cute. And he came up to me with this big smile and like hugged me. And he goes, my cousin. And I was like, what? <laughs> I'm looking at him like, I, d I don't have a cousin here. But then he goes, I'm Jewish. <laughs> and he like shook my shoulders. You are Muslim and we're cousins. And it was like the cutest, best thing ever. You know what I mean? It's stuff like that, that it warms your heart so much, like that kind of energy that comes towards you. Or after another performance, a man who was like a uh, Catholic came up to me and he said, you know what, I'm Catholic and 
modesty is so undervalued these days. And he goes, you know, from my religious background, modesty is very important. And so hearing you talk about its value and hearing you talk about it really, really is in line with like how I feel. Just like these beautiful kind of connections, right? Then in Oregon, I was in this teeny town and there was like no Muslims in the audience, right? There was one woman wearing hijab and she uh, raised her hand in the Q&A and she talked about the difficulty of living in that small town wearing hijab and how her family told her, take it off, you'll be safer, don't wear a hijab. And her friends told her, maybe it'll be easier for you if you don't. And she said, I don't want to have friends that don't love me like this. And so she continued to wear hijab. Then she invited the entire audience to come to this teeny mosque 40 miles away on a Friday for a potluck <laughs> to get to know their, the Muslim community, which is literally like probably five families, you know. But it was like that kind of experience that like I was on stage crying from, from her, from knowing that like just what, what she's going through and her strength and her beauty. And it made me just want to continue doing this work, you know? So I think what I take home from me are like all these different people's stories, all these different experiences and the people that I meet. And I, I just like learn so much. Um, it's such a, a blessing. Like I'm so grateful for the experience to do this. And I'm so grateful for going down a path that led me to an artistic, lifestyle, even though it's been hard, you know what I mean? I'm so blessed like to have these experiences, alhamdulillah. The stories definitely from the travels are most important. Meeting young creatives, I think I get really inspired because I really do feel like a lot of times we're like, oh, what's going to happen? There's all these things going on in the world now. But seeing young creatives who come together, um, especially across the world in different places, is really inspiring for me because we can learn a lot from them. Um, I do think traveling as Americans abroad really is eye-opening for everyone because you realize how much of a American hegemony there is and how much we think we know everything. And then you go somewhere and you're like, oh, okay, we really don't know much. And we have a particular perspective that we think is universal, but perhaps it isn't. Um, I also am blessed to say that traveling a lot like this allows you to build this amazing network of people um, and within the cultural organizing frame. So then when Amira is going to Malaysia, I can say, oh, you're going to Malaysia, make sure to meet these people. And I think that network building is the greatest part. So when you come home, you realize that you have brothers and sisters and others, family in these other, in these other places. Um, I also recognize how little we know, just as general as people, because you travel and it's just like your mind is kind of blown every time you go to a new place. Um, I live in Hawaii right now. And when we talk about issues of identity and complexities of um, the United States and its kind of presence in places, in Hawaii, it's very real. And um, it's a place that you have to understand in layers. And so as I'm trying to learn, it kind of humbles me a lot because it's going to take a long time for me to completely understand all those nuances. So you can be well-traveled, you can have these concepts and ideas of home, but you go into specific places where it's just different for people and it's different for the layered people and communities that live there. And I think all we can be is better storytellers so that when we take these stories, we can convey them to people in the truest sense um, and not say that we represent anyone else but ourselves, but also still be able to convey so that we can continue to build those relationships. Your deepest presence is in every small chapter.
The dance pieces that I've created for the Bates Festival performance um, both use the poetry of Rumi, who is a 13th century Islamic scholar and poet. Uh, Rumi is one of the most popular poets right now in the U.S. Um, and it's really interesting though because his, him being a Muslim is rarely talked about. Like people will share quotes, Rumi quotes, send it to their boyfriend or girlfriend. But usually the love that he's talking about is actually his love for the creator because all of his poetry is actually really, really related to his spiritual path. Um, and so I included the, the poetry within my musical score um, because I wanted to kind of bring that connection of Rumi back to uh, the Muslim identity, right? And because he also inspires me, the poetry inspires me and I learn from it. Uh, every time I read something of his, even in an English translation, it's still very powerful. Um, so uh, um, the work that I created, Qadr, is actually about romantic love. That is about when we have to accept um, the divine decree. So Qadr is an Islamic concept of divine decree, so that we we have certain things that our path is set, right? And we do make decisions along the way, but we, there are some things that are just not gonna happen for us. And a lot of times as humans, when we hear the word no, we become like children and we keep asking, I want, I want, I want, I want. So the beginning of the piece, I'm knocking at this door and I keep knocking and knocking. Nobody's answering. <laughs> And what I have to choose in the end is to let it go. Let go of that thing that I wanted and I'm gonna have to like go down that other path, right? And go like water where it's easier for you. And um, the Rumi poem is kind of about like uh, having you know, one hand open, one hand closed, that your, your hand opens and closes, right? It opens and closes. And and that contraction is natural, that change is natural, and so we have to accept that change. So that piece is, is about that. And uh, Love Embraces All is, uses the poetry, The Alchemy of Love uh, by Rumi, and that dance is about the walls that we build around ourselves and the walls that other people build around us. And it's about always remembering to choose love and breaking down those barriers that are within us and that are around us. Um, and so it's kind of a, that piece is really about a struggle. It's like an internal struggle and an external struggle. Um, and so there's forces that are coming at us and there's forces within us. And how do we always choose the path uh, that is more peaceful for us, right? And how do we, how do we navigate those challenges? Um, and how do we come together? through those challenges, and that's what that piece is about. Um, the show as a whole has uh, a musical collage, um, and that's obviously um, intentional. And uh, you're supposed to be there kind of on a journey, and you're supposed to be moved physically, you're supposed to be moving your body to the, the songs that you can dance to, you're supposed to move your mental or your mind, because you're supposed to be listening to some of the lyrics and thinking about the depth of them, and you're also supposed to be affected emotionally. Hopefully there's some tears in the audience as well, at some times. And a lot of the songs that we do with the reminders 
um, are about love, such as Count on Me and others that are just about like love in the, in the general kind of more romantic or familial sense. There's also songs that are deeply personal that come from a specific space, like The Greatest Love. There's some like kind of party type of anthems, including the song Party and Unstoppable, that are supposed to get you up and move. But they're all really intentionally positive. There are also some kind of like warning songs, I would say, like King of the Mountain, or songs that are kind of helping you get over things, like Dust and Bones, which are newer. And the music for Dust and Bones is, is, is newer as well. Um, you'll hear kind of like the Louisiana um, influences in there. And you'll also, and there's actually horns from there. And then you'll hear King of the Mountain, and there's supposed to be like a, a West and North African feel to that. So there's also like digging into musical forms for different traditions intentionally for some of that. Um, there's a lot of reggae influence in a lot of the songs as well. Um, but not all of the songs necessarily the audience understands where they're coming from because they're coming from personal spaces and motivations and even the lyrics. But the message ends up being universal. And that's important too. And I think you'll see this throughout is that there's these universal messages that are around particular themes. And those themes are supposed to be conveyed in the music. And of course, when we create the theatrical aspect of the show with the, the dance pieces, the music and the performance, um, as well as the lighting from the great crew here, you're supposed to kind of be in this journey of stories together. And I think uh, it's an experience in that way. And it's not one particular type of show. And uh, Friday and Sunday probably will seem similar. But if you see this show any other time, it'll be completely a different experience again. Um, and hopefully the next time you see something like this, maybe it'll be even more different. Mm -hmm. This podcast was produced by the Bates Dance Festival out of Bates College. Editing was done by myself, Lindsay LaPointe. The music featured was by The Reminders, Aja Black, and DJ Manowax. For more information about the Bates Dance Festival, visit BatesDanceFestival.org. <laughs>